All right, it, it is time for us to begin our classes, as uh, we know, because it got, got all quiet. And so now it's time to, to begin. Um, Alan is at Jersey Village tonight. Um, Eddie is down in Wharton, where he thought he was last week, but Preston was down in Wharton last week. He showed up. Did you know that? Did they tell you about that? Okay. Eddie wasn't wrong. Eddie showed up to preach at Wharton because he got a letter from Luke telling him to be there on the 8th. I think it last week. Wednesday was the 8th, so he showed up, but then Luke was confused because Preston was coming, and so Eddie came back here in time for services. I don't know if anyone realized what had happened. So you thought you were here last week? I know, and then what? It would have worked out very well, um, but we are glad. I'll, I'll, I'll introduce Preston in a second. We have, we have some good news. We have uh, Janie Emilia being born today. It was today at what time? 3.58 to James and Amelia Thompson. And uh, Doug and Melissa are the grandparents. And, and proud aunt um, has been showing, me, uh, showing pictures uh, around. Katie has been showing some pictures of uh, Janie. And so we're, we're going to pray for them, uh, for their continued recovery. But everyone's doing well, and you'll hear a little bit more about that um, in just a little bit. Before we have that prayer, well, first of all, what are some other blessings that we know of? Some blessings and or needs. VBS is going well. I think we had 60, 69 the first day, 72, and then 77 people, uh, children here so at Vacation Bible School. Um, and so that's been a blessing. Very noisy group of kids when you're singing with them. It's awesome. It's an amazing thing to sing with that many kids who are excited about singing. Um, other blessings? Okay, well, let's have and, and needs. We don't know. All right, let's have a prayer. Our Father God in heaven, thank you so much for the way that you uh, show your love to us. Thank you so much for the blessings in life that we are able to enjoy, the way that you shower those on us. We're grateful for the news about Janie t today, and we pray that you'll be with, with uh, Amelia and James and Janie as they recover from the transition. And we pray that, that it'll be a time of, of joy and happiness, but we also... Uh, understand that it's a time of, of being tired as well. And so we pray that, that you'll watch over them and uh, be with the rest of the family as they help out. Thank you so much for, for bringing Preston and, and Olivia here tonight and Stephen. We pray that um, it, that we will be a good, attentive hearers of the message that, uh, that Preston has prepared. Thank you so much for the opportunities that Eddie and Alan have to go preach uh, as well in the different places. And thank you so much for this time that we've had this summer of all the various speakers and the different different uh, personalities, but we are grateful that they all have the the love of your word in common. So we're we're grateful that Preston and Olivia are here tonight. Uh, we ask that you be with those people who are physically struggling uh, in our family. We pray that you'll be with them, and we pray that they will be uh, recover as quickly as possible, if it's your will, and that they'll be with us again as soon as possible. We also ask that you be with those people who are struggling spiritually, and we pray that we'll be. Uh, an outreach uh, on your behalf to them, to support them, to encourage them, to hold them, to pick them up uh, when the opportunities arise. We are grateful for the time that we're having at Vacation Bible School this week. Uh, we're grateful for the uh, that you have blessed the efforts that have been that have gone into preparing for and planning, and then the execution of of the week, the teachers and the group leaders, the food that is being prepared. And thank you so much for all of the willing people that you've uh, brought together in this effort of outreach. 
We ask that you be with uh, Stan and Edie in Albania at this time, and we pray that things will be going smoothly for them and that they will be able to rest when they get home and keep them safe uh, in their travels. And thank you for that opportunity. Thank you so much for Jesus, most of all. We ask that we will, uh, we ask for strength to be able to emulate him better, um, be better students, better disciples of, of his, and uh, live our lives just so much better than we have been. And we pray for more zeal uh, in doing so. Thank you so much for the example that he is and for the Savior that he is. And we're, we're so grateful that we have hope because of him and the sacrifice. All these things that we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Preston and Olivia and Stephen are here. Stephen is, is in the nursery, so make sure that you meet him after services. Very cute little boy. But Preston and Olivia Hammond are with us. He has been with Stafford for three years now. Um, this is his third year, he said. And he is 26 years old. And the reason why that's significant to me is because I had to figure out... I knew that he was young when I met him, um, but that was 24 years ago. So he was two years old when I met Preston. And uh, he, he doesn't remember me. So, but we've interacted a lot since then, and he is such a good guy, uh, such a pl- pleasant person to be around, and, and he, loves, he, loves, uh, he loves preaching, and he does a great job at it. At it. His dad is Mark, and he, Mark has already been here this summer, Mark Hammett from Weber Road down in Corpus Christi, and we've known him uh, for quite a while too, and we've had him, and we appreciate him and his family, his whole family. Um, you're a graduate of Harding. Uh, that is, uh, it, that I'm just, I don't know if that's good or bad, it's awesome. Um, it, is, it is good. He's a graduate of Harding, uh, and um, he is, he's just done a great job. Let's welcome him, and I'll let him come up and talk rather than me. And Preston, preach the word. All right, it's uh, very good to be here. Um, this is, I guess this is my third year in a row coming here to speak on this summer series, and it's always good to be invited back, and uh, it's great to uh, have a chance to speak to you all and to, uh, and to share the word with you. I believe we're going to be having Eddie over at Stafford next week, if I'm not mistaken, and I haven't met him yet, and I, I still won't get to meet him because we'll be out uh, next week, we'll be out of town, but hopefully we'll uh, I talk to him on the phone a couple of times, but... I hope to get a chance to meet him at some point. This evening, I want each of us to sort of use your imaginations for a couple of minutes. And imagine you're going in for a job interview. You have to be dressed appropriately. You have to watch what you say, watch how you answer the questions. You have to make sure you don't say the wrong thing because the wrong thing could Uh, keep you from getting hired in this position. And this is a job that you desperately need. It's a job that that you absolutely need in order to live. And the job that I'm talking about is being a Christian. Some of you may, you know, scratch your heads. Well, I I never thought of Christianity, being a Christian, as a job. You know, to say it's a job almost makes it sound like, uh, like like it's not... Like, like it's not spiritual, or it almost makes it sound like it's very rigid and uh, it's not very personal, personable. But it very much is a job uh, in a certain sense. And in order to do this job, believe it or not, we do have to go through a job interview process. And I know some of you may not believe me, but if you don't, 
turn to John 21. Because John 21, we have uh, the first recorded Christian job interview. And this is the passage we're going to be studying uh, in the time that we have, John 21, beginning in verse 15. And we'll back up a little bit as we go into the, uh, further into the lesson. But we basically have Jesus interviewing Peter for a job in his business. And Jesus' business is the greatest business of all. It's the business of evangelizing. It's the business of winning souls. It's the business of seeking and saving those who are lost. And as we sort of go through this process, I want us to put ourselves in the position of Peter. Because each of us has to go through an interview of sorts. Each of us is going to have to be faced with uh, certain uh, these same questions that Jesus is asking. Each of us is going to be asked those questions at some point. So let's go through this interview together. And we're going to start with a question. And it really is only one question that we have. Um, it's a question that Jesus asks Peter three times. And the question is, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He changes it up a couple of times, but it's the same basic question. Do you love me is what he's asking three times in this passage. I want you to notice a few things about this question that Jesus asks. The first is the way he asks the question. He asks it in a very tactful way. It's a tactful question. If you notice the occasion and the timing of how he asks this question, you have to back up a little bit to verse 11. And I'll go ahead and read verse 11. It says, Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the third time, it says, that he's appeared to his disciples. And keep in mind that what we're about to talk about is maybe the most important conversation that Peter will ever have with Jesus. Why has Jesus waited so long to have this conversation? He's seen him three times already. Jesus recognizes that this conversation he's about to have is very delicate. We need to understand that this dialogue that's about to take place between Jesus and Peter is going to cover some very weighty material. It's going to get a little emotional. It's going to be very heavy. It's going to be a very serious conversation. And many of us may... Uh, relate to Jesus in this in, in this sense, and that you know we've had to perhaps speak with people and in, in a, about, a, about a subject that we knew was going to be uncomfortable. If you're in the business world, maybe you've uh, you've had to speak to an employee who has uh, who has not been behaving himself uh, at work in in a right manner, or maybe you have to speak to him. Maybe you have to let him go, or maybe you have to fire this person. It's not an easy conversation to have. You know, if you're uh, an elder in the church and there's a certain a sin that a member is involved in and that's a conversation that needs to be had, need to address this sin. It's not an easy conversation. It never is. So how do you prepare to have a serious, delicate conversation? Well, you have to be very tactful. 
And I would advise you, if any of you ever find yourself in a situation where you're worried about a conversation that you need, that you have to have with someone, take a page from what Jesus did, what Jesus did in this story. Notice the first thing Jesus does. He doesn't just come to Peter and take him to the side and ask him a question. The very first thing he does in this story is he cooks breakfast for him. You know, he causes them to catch a, a huge amount of fish, 153, and then he cooks them for breakfast. Immediately, I would imagine the tension is, is sort of drawn uh, out of that scene. He does this act of service, whatever he can to make Peter feel uh, comfortable in his presence. Remember that Peter is a potential employee in Jesus' business of, sa- of seeking and saving the lost. Jesus wants Peter to feel at ease with him so that this interview will go effectively. And there's a really good lesson for us about how we can go about having a difficult conversation with somebody. Then we get to the actual question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these, he says. I want you to notice a couple of things about this question. First, that it is a humbling question. It is a question that is specifically designed to humble Peter. First, notice how he addresses Peter. He doesn't call him Peter. What does he call him? He calls him Simon, son of John. He uses the name that Peter once went by before he became Peter. In fact, if you back up to John chapter 1, verse 42, we see that it was Jesus himself who changed the name of Peter when he first called him. Uh, It says in verse 42 of John 1, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. In using his original name, it's almost like he's reminding him uh, of who he was before he was called by Jesus back in John 1. Remember when you were Simon, son of John. Remember who you were before you met me. Remember who you were. You were the son of not a nobleman or not a, a governor or not a king. You were a fisherman. He's reminding him of his very lowly, modest roots, just in the way he addresses him. And then he says, do you love me more than these? There's no, uh, no general consensus among scholars as to what Jesus is referring to uh, when he says the word these. And I'll, I'll share with you a couple of possibilities, and uh, both of them have, have good truth to them. Perhaps Jesus was asking Peter, do you love me more then these, then the rest of these apostles love me, and this would make sense because Jesus, uh, Peter had once made the statement that he did love Jesus more than the rest. In fact, if you back up to Matthew twenty-six thirty-three, Jesus tells his apostles that all will fall away on account of me, and Peter's response is, "Even if all fall away on account of you, I will not." Then in verse thirty-five, even if I have to die for you. I will never fall away. I will never disown you. Of course, we know the rest of the story. We know that he did end up disowning him three times. So you can see how this question, if this is the way it was, it was being asked by Jesus, do you love me more than the rest of these apostles love me? That would certainly make sense as a question that would humble Peter. It's as if Jesus is saying to Peter, you once declared that you love me more than anyone else. If everyone else fell away, you would still love me. Well, can you say the same thing now after what you've done? 
Peter's actions reveal something very different about his words. So no doubt this is a question that cuts very deep uh, into Peter's heart. It's a reminder of prior sins. It's a reminder of lingering guilt. But it's also a priority question. It's a question that is designed not only to humble Peter, but also to cause him to think about what is his number one priority in life. Do you love me? He doesn't ask Peter, what have you done for me? He doesn't ask Peter, or he doesn't say to Peter, give me an example of how you love me. He doesn't even say or ask him, do you have faith in me? He asks him a very specific question, do you love me? He wants Peter to love him. Uh, Jesus uses the word agape when he says love. And some have said that the word agape is the highest form of love. It's, uh, and that may be correct. Agape is the word used to say that God is love over in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. So perhaps the kind of love that Jesus is inquiring about in Peter is the kind of love that God had for us. That would make sense to me. It's the kind of love that Jesus demands of each of us. He commands the unconditional, sacrificial love, a love that knows no bounds. He wants us to love him more than anything in the world. Some have noted uh, that Peter and the apostles have, uh, interesting that they've gone back to fishing after three years in ministry with Jesus. They're, they're back to their original occupation. And so they've, uh, the speculation is perhaps when Jesus said, do you love me more than these, the these was referring to their fishing nets or referring to uh, their, their worldly occupation or really any worldly endeavor. Do you love me more than anything else? That may be a possibility. I don't think we're exactly sure what he meant by more than these, but there's truth however you interpret it because the kind of love that Jesus is calling us to is a love in which we must prioritize him first. We must love him more than anything else. There's so much going on in this question. Jesus is reaching out to Peter. He's humbling Peter. He's reminding him of what his priority should be. So you have to imagine that you are in Peter's position, and you are being interviewed for, uh, for this job, the most important job. Jesus says, really, I only have one question in this interview. It's very simple. Do you love me? But it's really the only question that matters. You know, love is the basis of everything that we do in Christ. It's the basis of all that we are in Christ. And if you don't get love, if you don't understand love, and if you don't apply love, you don't get Christ. Love for Christ, love for God, love for His church has to be the number one priority. So how does Peter respond to this question? This is where we're going to have to do... Uh, make some application to us because we're being asked the same question every day by Jesus. Do you love me? Uh, maybe not verbally, but certainly whatever situations we find ourselves in, that question should be you know, in our heads. How much do I love Jesus? Do I really love Jesus? And am I going to demonstrate that by whatever situation I'm in? So how are we going to answer that question? Do you love Jesus? Well, notice how Peter answered the question. I want you to notice first that his answer was an honest one. Jesus asks the question three times, and every time, Peter gives the same answer. He says, you know that I love you. He never once strays from using those words. Uh, some have noted that Peter, he actually used a different 
Greek word than the word uh, that Jesus used. Jesus used the word agape, uh, whereas Peter used the word phileo. Occasionally, uh, John will use those two words interchangeably, so there may not be anything to that, but it is interesting how we typically, uh, typically define the words agape versus the word phileo. Usually the word agape is associated with the sacrificial, unconditional love, the love that God had for us, the love that, uh, that was embodied in the form of Christ. And the thing about that unconditional love is that it's not always an easy love. It's not always a fun kind of love. In this interview, Jesus is calling us to love in an unconditional way, in a way that's not always going to be easy, in a way that we're going to have to work at sometimes because it may not come naturally. And I find it interesting that Peter does use an easier word, if you will, for love, the word phileo. Uh, it's a, it's a, a love that is associated with good tidings and a love that is associated with warm feelings. It's a love that means, uh, I, I think of you as a dear brother or a dear sister. And that's Peter's answer each time Jesus poses the question. He says, you know that I love you. If nothing else, it's a very honest answer. It's very sincere. Peter's not, uh, not lying. If he was, Jesus would be able to see right through him. Now, you might question the sincerity of Peter if you were in Jesus' position. After all, we know what Peter did to Jesus just a few days earlier. We know how he betrayed him, uh, how he, he, wasn't, he didn't betray him the way Judas did, but he might as well have because he denied him and he didn't stand by him, and he was just as guilty as, as we all are. And now he is claiming that he loves him as if he's a dear friend. But he's right. He's absolutely sincere in what he says. And Jesus knows that he's sincere in what he says. He never calls into question Peter's sincerity. Furthermore, Peter never claims to be better than the rest of the apostles. He never claims that I love you now more than the rest of the apostles. And that was a lesson that maybe Peter's learned since in the last few days, because he did claim that, remember, earlier on. You know, if all of the rest fall away, I will never fall away. I will continue to stand by you. I will die with you if necessary. He's not making that claim anymore. He understands that his love for Jesus is no, is no more special than anybody else's love. He's not, a, he's not special because he's Peter. So how would you answer that question? Would you be honest with the answer? Would you be sincere in your answer? Even though you may have made mistakes in the past, even though your boss is going to question your loyalty uh, to him after you've treated him so terribly, you can still answer honestly and say, I love you. We can love Jesus. We can love God even after we've sinned against Him. And Jesus will accept our love if it's given in sincerity and if it's, uh, if it's demonstrated by obedience, which we'll get to a little later on. Because Jesus is not like any other employer in this uh, so-called job interview that we're talking about. If you were being interviewed for an actual job and you were to go in one of the questions that your employer might ask you, or your potential employer might ask you is, well, what is your track record? You know, do you consider yourself to be a hard worker? Do you consider yourself to be loyal? And you might say, well, absolutely I do. And then that uh, future employer might say, well, wait a minute. I have your previous uh, employment history. And it seems that 
you have not been as loyal as you claim to be. It says here you're repeatedly late for work. Uh, the days that you show up for work, uh, you're taking a nap or uh, you're not being productive. Uh, you're not meeting your weekly quota. Uh, you may say you're a hard worker, but your, employ your previous history says otherwise. But Jesus is not like any earthly employer. Because when Jesus conducts this interview and when he asks the question, do you love me? He's not concerned with, have you previously loved me? You know, he's not concerned with uh, what, whatever sin you may have committed in the past. Because, you know, in his eyes, as we know from the Bible, it doesn't matter what sin you may have committed. It doesn't matter if it was how egregious it was. All sin separates us from God. It doesn't matter what the nature of it was. So from that standpoint, he's not concerned about, did you love me in the past? That doesn't matter. Do you love me today? Will you love me tomorrow? Will you love me the next day, the day after that? He's not concerned with previous employment history, or in this case, our previous history of not loving him. Even though we've sinned against him, we can honestly say that we love Jesus today. And if we're honest with that answer, I believe Peter was honest. Jesus knows that, and he believes that, and he is able to accept a sincere answer. But it can't just be an honest and sincere answer. It also has to be an acknowledging answer. And that's the second way that Peter answers this question. He appeals to the knowledge of Jesus. You know, in any job interview that you go into, the one thing that you have to absolutely have, or that's usually necessary, is that you need good references. If you don't have very good references, you're probably not going to get hired unless they're desperate. So who are Peter's references, we have to ask ourselves. Some would speculate, maybe it's the apostles. You know, maybe it's uh, maybe James and John, or maybe my brother Andrew, or maybe you can ask Philip, or Bartholomew, or Thomas, or any of these. They'll tell you that I love you. They'll back me up on this. But Peter doesn't do that. Well, maybe it's himself. Maybe he says, I love you, and you can trust me because I have a great track record. Well, we can throw that out the window right away. We know he doesn't have a great track record. So, the other apostles, himself, uh, none of those are good references to back up Peter's claim that he loves Jesus. It's interesting who Peter lists as his reference. He says, you know that I love you. In other words, uh, for our metaphor, Jesus himself is his reference. How would you like that, going into a, a, a job offer or going into an interview and listing the, the potential employer as your reference. It's very bold. I wouldn't recommend trying that. But in this case, it works for Peter. He's saying, I love you, and you know that I love you. And it's an even greater confession comes the third time he says it, verse 17. He says, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know that my claim is valid because you know me. You are omnipotent. You know, you know the heart of all men, and you know me. We have to acknowledge that when we answer this question, do you love me? You know, when we are in that interview room, and when, uh, when Jesus asks, do you love me? The right answer to that question is one that acknowledges Jesus, and acknowledges him as Lord. You cannot love Jesus if you don't acknowledge him, and if you don't know who he is. If you don't truly believe that he is your Lord, and that he is your Savior. How can you possibly love him if you don't even know him? True love for Jesus recognizes him as God, 
it recognizes him as the Lord of your life and the ultimate authority in all matters. And Peter was able to recognize that. Even after all that, he'd, all that he had done, even after all the times he had messed up, he recognized in this moment who Jesus really was. And he acknowledged that. But it was also a very painful answer. And you'll find yourself in the same situation at some point when confronted with the question, do you love me? If you really answer that question in an honest and sincere way, it's probably going to cause some pain. Why is it going to cause pain? You know, people have wondered, uh, we'll answer that in a moment, people have wondered, why did Jesus ask him this question three times? Uh, was Jesus deaf? Did he not hear the first two times? You know, maybe he didn't understand what Peter was trying to say. Maybe he was mumbling. But I want you to notice a couple things about this third, the third time he asked the question. First of all, uh, again, noteworthy that Jesus stops using the word agape, and he uses the word phileo for love which is the word Peter had been using. Uh, and again, whether that's a literary license on the part of John or intentional, I, I don't know for sure, but if, it is, if that is exactly what he was saying intentionally, I imagine the conversation would have gone something like this. Uh, Peter had been saying, you know that I love you like a dear friend, like a brother. And it's as if Jesus is now saying, well, do you really love me even like a brother? Do you really even love me as a dear friend, the way you claim to love me. There was something about the third time that Jesus asked the question that really gets to the heart of Peter. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it was Jesus was questioning the friendship that Peter claimed to have. I'll give you another possible scenario. Some have suggested that this may be a parallel to another set of three questions that was asked to Peter just a few days earlier. And you know the question I'm talking about. The basic question is, do you know Jesus? And after Jesus was arrested in the garden, Peter was asked that question, more or less, three times. Do you know Jesus? Do you know who this man was? Were you affiliated with him? And every time, Peter claimed that he did not know Jesus. Repetition uh, sometimes brings clarity. You know, we repeat things over and over in order to memorize them. We do this in, in grade school uh, when, when we're learning addition or subtraction. Uh, we repeat things over and over and over, and eventually we'll get it. Eventually the light bulb will click. And for Peter, it seems like three was the magic number for him. After three questions, uh, or after three denials of Jesus a few days earlier, it finally clicked in the head of Peter what he had done. And he heard that rooster crow, and he realized uh, that he had denied his Savior. And now, several days later, after three rounds of the same question, it's getting repetitive by now, Jesus, but it's the same question, finally something clicks in the head of Peter because it, it tells us that immediately he is filled with grief and sorrow after the third time of being asked this question. There's something about that number three for Peter, but whatever it was, it worked. It produced exactly the effect that Jesus was hoping for. Jesus was repeating this question, not because he was, he was deaf, or not because he was uh, just being repetitive for the sake of repetition, but he was repeating this question to produce some kind of an emotional effect in Peter. And we finally get it after the third time. The emotional effect is pain. Peter feels pain. He feels grief, and he feels sorrow. 
And it took three, three times of asking this question to get to that point. Now, why would Jesus want to cause pain? That seems silly, doesn't it? Why would he want to cause anyone pain? He wants, to, he wants us to feel good, and he wants us to, be lo- to feel loved, not to feel uh, like we are in pain. Well, he doesn't enjoy causing pain, that's for sure. But sometimes pain is good. Consider what Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7, 8 and 9. Paul said, Even if I caused you to sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. So what Jesus did during this interview is what Paul is doing in the form of a letter. He basically wrote a letter prior to 2 Corinthians to the Corinthians, And in this letter, he was very harsh, very uh, perhaps came across as judgmental to some, very blunt. And he was very worried about how this letter was to be received. But at the same time, when he found out that it was received in the right way, he was very happy, even though it caused them pain. He wasn't happy because they were in pain, but he was happy because their pain produced repentance. And it produced within them a desire to turn back to God. So if you're being interviewed and Jesus asks you that question, do you love me? Understand that if we really explore what Jesus is asking in that question, and if we really take, maybe take a few moments to think about what kind of love he's asking of us, it's going to be very painful. It's going to bring up some painful memories of our past, of a time when we obviously did not love him, of a time when we were sinning against him when we were living in rebellion against him. It's a very painful realization uh, when we come face to face with this question, but it's also a very necessary realization. Only when we feel the pain of our previous sins are we able to give a genuine and honest answer. So Jesus asked the question. Peter gives an answer. And what's the outcome? Does Peter get the job? Well, Jesus responds by giving Peter a task, so it would seem, yes, he did get the job. Um, So what now? What is his job description? What is the job description of any Christian? I want you to notice the three responses that Jesus has every time Peter gives an answer. Uh, I have from from the English Standard Version, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. And you might, you have something like that, whatever version you have. Some of these tasks given to Peter, uh, may have in mind Peter's role as a, as a leader in the church, his role as an elder or a gospel preacher. The lambs and the sheep could be references to a flock, to a congregation. So I think the temptation for some of us is to think, well, this is where I can stop reading. This is clearly just something that elders need to read, or that maybe a preacher would need to read. Uh, this is not a task that would apply to me. But we have to be careful. Because once we, if we take a step back and if we strip away those specific commands, there are two very basic commands that apply to every Christian, not just elders or not just preachers. And the two basic commands that we see, teach and lead. Teach and lead. Those are two important job descriptions of every Christian. We have to teach, first of all. You don't have to get up in the pulpit to teach. You know, we have several great teachers in the Bible who were not in the spotlight. 
Uh, we read about a man named Apollos, for example, in Acts 18. Now, he was perhaps in the spotlight. Uh, when Apollos arrived in Achaia, we read in Acts 18, 27, and 28 that he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that, that Christ was Jesus. A powerful speaker, a bold speaker, a persuasive gospel preacher. But when we back up a couple of verses, we see there were a couple of teachers who had greatly influenced Apollos. A married couple named Aquila and Priscilla. And in verse 26, when they, took, when they heard Apollos speaking boldly, it says that this married couple took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. What about the teacher uh, Philip in Acts chapter 8, who taught the gospel to the Ethiopian on the road to Gaza? Here was a man who Philip found reading from the prophet Isaiah, seeking truth, and Philip used that as an opportunity to teach this man about Jesus. Are we looking for those opportunities to teach others about Jesus? How many times has a scripture come up in a casual conversation? How many times has religion been a topic of discussion with a, a neighbor or a friend? And you know, I'm under the impression that if you think about any, any story in the news, whether it be a sports story or a political story, whatever might be going on in the world, the way that a Christian thinks about those issues should be vastly different from the way the world thinks about those issues. So any topic that you might name, if you're creative enough, could be a way to get your foot in the door to start talking about Jesus. You have to be creative sometimes. You have to say, well, what does a Christian say about this topic? Uh, it may be a controversial topic. This is what we believe about this. There are opportunities to talk about Jesus every day. You just have to be seeking those opportunities and uh, sometimes being very innovative and creative. And then we have to lead. Jesus told Peter to tend or to take care of his, uh, care of his sheep. We too are instructed to lead, uh, not just elders in the church or not just a preacher. And you might be thinking, well, I'm too young to do that. Or, well, you know, I'm a woman. It's the man's job to lead in the church. And those are some very great uh, excuses to not lead, quite frankly. Because the command to lead is the job of every Christian. It doesn't matter if you're a leader in the church or a leader in another area. Uh, because we can lead in ways that are not limited by age or gender. The best thing you can do is lead by example, for one thing. We all have a, a peer group. We all have people that we work with or uh, people that we associate with regularly. You can be a leader among the, that group of people. We can be Christian examples to them. In the Bible, Timothy was a very young man, and he could have used that as an excuse to not be a leader. But Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but instead set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So can I lead by example in my speech, You know, in the way that I talk, in the language that I use? That's something that every one of us in Christ should be doing. Uh, whoever we interact with, the interactions that we have, we can be a leader in that area. Can I lead by example in my conduct, in the decisions that I make, in the choices I make? Uh, maybe it's a simple choice, like choosing to attend church on a regular basis. That shows where my priorities are. You know, there are simple ways in which we can lead uh, that can be very effective, though. Can I lead by example in love, by showing love toward others, especially in a world full 
of people that are all about loving self instead? Can I lead by example in faith and in purity? When you really break it down, leading is not so difficult to do. It may take some courage and it may take stepping outside of your comfort zone in some cases, but it's something that each of us can do. Each of us can set the tone among our own circle of friends and be a leader and be a shining example of Christ. Well, I want to thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to speak. I understand there will be a devotional to follow in a few minutes, and we will uh, kind of wrap this up. There's one more point that I want to make from this, uh, from this story that we can certainly take great application from. Thank you.